0: This episode is brought to you by hrvcourse.com. If you're new to heart rate variability or you just want to take your use of it to the next level, there are now online courses designed to help you do exactly that. Hundreds of people from NFL coaches to doctors to athletes and health seekers are already taking advantage of the in-depth course material. It's all online, go at your own pace, and the material focuses about half on the science and mechanisms and half on the data and real-world application of HRV. The courses are also platform-independent, meaning the content applies to you no matter which HRV app or hardware you use. Continuing education credits are available as well. And last, make sure to get your 10% discount for being a listener of this podcast by using coupon code ELITEPODCAST at checkout. To take your use of HRV to the next level, head on over to HRVCourse.com.
1: Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elite HRV Podcast. This is Jason Moore, your host, and today we have Jose Marisma on the podcast with us. And uh, Jose, we were joking a little bit about whether or not what accent I was going to use for your name, and that's how it came out. How did I do?
1: You did awesome, Jason. and I, I could tell you have a Latin tongue, so... Fantastic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks so much. Spanish is something I'm always working on, but uh, decent conversational these days. So well, Awesome. We um, could do
1: this in Spanish sometime. I know there's a, a big demand in the Spanish-speaking world for this kind of information, certainly on, on mindfulness side, but absolutely on the HRV and performance side. So,
0: Yes, it's called cardiac uh, Cardiaca Frecuencia uh, y Sistema Nervosa. Um, stuff like that, right? (laughs) Muy bien, el
1: sistema nervioso.
0: (laughs) Nervioso, okay. Anyway, sorry to get uh, off on that, but thanks so much for joining and taking your time to come here and share your experience. And just for folks listening, um, Jose actually has been in the HRV space and aware of HRV, uh, HRV for a lot longer than uh, most other people in fact uh a couple of decades almost what when was the first time you started working with it
1: so you know, officially working with it right at the end of 1999 um right into the 2000s so yeah just just shy of a uh, couple of decades um you know i really you know i knew what HRV was from my my education as an exercise physiologist but uh, i got knee deep into it when i started working for polar polar Electro the inventor of the wireless heart rate
0: monitor. Oh yeah, that's awesome. And I think, um, you know, we, we've, we've had a couple conversations and, uh, you said that there was a, a team there and, you know, that includes, uh, Don Moxley, who's been on the show before and a couple other folks. And y'all were part of some of the pioneering efforts at bringing that wireless heart rate monitoring accuracy to the level where we could get HRV. Um, yeah, so you know, maybe we're gonna, I think, get down that rabbit hole a little bit and into some of the other activities that you then evolved into, including mindfulness and uh, you know breathing practices and and other things, and then uh, biofeedback aspects of HRV. But maybe you could just give a, folks a little background of your kind of career path overview. Uh, before we dig into all that.
1: Yeah, sure. I'd love to do that. And um, so I'm an exercise physiologist uh, and and sports scientist, uh, now practicing as a uh, health coach, life coach, um, kind of a performance coach, trying to integrate all aspects of the physical, emotional, mental um, kind of tools that we have out there to help people kind of optimize their lives. And uh, I did start out my career in in more traditional kind of work, uh, first in cardiac rehab and then moving into the sports performance realm. I spent um, almost a decade as the director of athletic performance at Polar um, in in the North American branch, right, so divisions in Europe uh, and here in North America. And that was when I was introduced to uh, actually being able to apply HRV in a in a real way, um, because for, for so long we weren't able to use that that tool outside of a, a lab where we had an EKG or a device that was capable of collecting that information. So I spent a good decade there, had the opportunity to interact, you know, with with top performing coaches and athletes, and and really designing um, what I call metabolic programs or. or, or programs that allow us to improve performance, resiliency, and recovery. And uh, moving through my career, then I moved into well-being and uh, spent um, a good period of time, the last certainly the last decade, um, in, in really just trying to help people in general, just the general population, improve their health, uh, however we could we could do that. And uh, now I'm kind of in a consulting teaching role working in the medical world, uh, you know more of the traditional kind of hospital setting, but often helping um, clinical staff with their stress and resiliency. And I do a lot of work with uh, CEOs, um, some really cool organizations like Cliff Bar, uh, the Department of Defense. Uh, I do a lot of work with uh, government agencies here in New Mexico uh, trying to help uh, individuals perform better. And a lot of my work lately has been teaching mindful meditation or applying those tools, uh, attention-focused training in improving health and uh, performance.
0: Wow. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting, that pattern that you've, if you kind of trace your career being kind of in the uh, high-performance arena for a decade or so, and then, moving into the health space and the wellness space and then kind of finding yourself more on the high performance but kind of mental athletes almost, the business people and the the, um, high performers in those spaces. Is it, you know, if you could kind of pin something down on why that evolution happened, is there any kind of theme there or is it just how things have kind of shaken out?
1: (laughs) Well, I think a little, a little bit of, uh, you know, things kind of shook out this way, but I think for very particular reasons, um, you know, one, one of the things I like to say is that the toughest sport, you know, I came to the realization that the toughest sport or competition you're ever going to be involved in is your life. Um, and it, you know, there are no timeouts and you got to show up every day, even on vacation, uh, you know, you got to show up cause somebody might lose your luggage and that might affect the quality of your experience. Um, but, you know, and there are a lot more people out there engaging. I love, uh, you know, the athletic performance world. It's it's close to my heart. I was a college soccer player and a competitive bike racer for many years. You know, so I understand what it's like to be on that end of the equation and kind of the physical and mental challenges involved. Um But I noticed I started to learn as you know we mature and time goes by that you know that 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 same those same kind of challenges are happening in everyday life, and what's interesting is you know I would never you know as as a highly competitive athlete you would never show up on the playing field hopefully uh, without good night's sleep without paying attention to what you were eating to uh, looking at your your training and your recovery but yet so many of us. Don't take that time to um, take care of the physical and mental body uh, to show up to our lives. And, you know, this is, the, this is the, the competition that matters. It really matters most is being present for our, our families, our employers, our uh, subordinates, our colleagues, um, our children, our partners, whatever it might be. And uh, like, I like I like to ask this question, a lot of people who here wants a mediocre life. And I've never had anyone raise their hand or voice that that was their goal. In fact, most of us want a high quality of life, and uh, I believe that that through training and awareness and observation, we can we can achieve that.
0: Mm, Yeah, I I like that a lot. And it's you know the sporting arena is or the sporting sports in general uh, really kind of teaches you a lot about yourself, what you're capable of physically, mentally kind of helps with that self-awareness if you allow it of course not every yeah, yeah go I, ahead
1: i find that that athletes um get mindfulness training or attention training because they are like you said you're you're often learning a lot about yourself and the higher we get in kind of the arena or the performance that we're doing it, it the self-awareness grows um because i don't think you can get there without having some self-awareness um certainly physical kind of emotional mental aspect.
0: Yeah. Definitely these days too, as competition is pretty high in most sports these days.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Small variables. It's all small variables. (laughs) The higher you get.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, but the neat thing is with you know uh, mediums like this podcast and the internet and other things is we can kind of learn so fast too as well. So some of the things that people use the tools, tactics, strategies, of those high performers can uh, you know trickle down so to speak to the rest of us more quickly and we can take some of those tactics and use them in our normal people lives as well <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely i think i mean you're touching on a on a big piece there right often technology and or training techniques it starts with the elite and then what we learn from that can be applied to everyday life And again, I think that that's the biggest competition. Um, It's the longest running competition we'll ever be in.
0: Right. And so when you uh, moved on from being director of performance, and obviously while you were there at Polar, um, you know, you were heavily involved with heart rate monitoring, heart rate variability. I'm sure there were some other things going on, too, from the monitoring side of things. Did you take some of that tech on into the health and wellness space?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we uh, definitely transferred that into the health and wellness space. Um, you know, one of the, the cool kind of um, tools that Polar created was the ability to, or the easy ability to use HRV to calculate VO2, for example, VO2 max. Um, and so we could get a baseline on somebody's cardiovascular fitness and track and trend um, improvements. And so in the well-being arena, you know, we used uh, the, the HRV derived or uh, it's called own index at Polar. We used that and we transferred it into our well-being program and kind of we were the first people, a company that I was with um, that was offering kind of pretty state-of-the-art corporate wellness Um, We were able to bring a small little suitcase sized device in with a heart rate strap and uh, collect people, you know, 200 people's VO2s in an afternoon. And that's something you could never do in a lab and with with relatively good accuracy. And then using that value, we could uh, with some proprietary technology that we developed, we could actually create a heart rate based training program for somebody that wanted to lose weight or just improve their general Cardiovascular fitness or, or general fitness. So we absolutely took that technology and transferred it into well-being, um, and it was kind of a fun time to to see that transfer.
0: Right, and then is you know now you're you're pretty heavily focused on the consulting, the mindfulness practices, the mental performance aspect of things, and then do you Use you know how does how does that shake out? What does it look like when you kind of go into a company and talk to them?
1: Yeah, so stress seems to be certainly in the last eight nine years, stress seems to be the biggest component or the biggest kind of obstacle for a lot of individuals and organizations. Uh, and I say mentally perceived stress, right? And so often um, when I come in, you know, that's the question: How can we improve? Um, the general kind of culture of the organization, we find that one of the obstacles that, that our culture is facing is that people are, are very overworked. They're, they're um, you know, kind of flirting with burnout uh, that leads to conflict with peers, uh, maybe not a, a high emotional intelligence going on here. And so we've, we've come in and we offer um, general education on how to incorporate mindful attention training into just everyday life for the individuals. And then we've even created programs um, like mindful customer service programming where we learn to, to become more compassionate for the person that we're serving on the other end of the phone like at a call center, for example, and instead of being reactive and going into the mode of like, I've done this as this the 70th time I've had the same conversation today as we we can approach it with a more open heart, kind of a beginner's mind, like like every person is a new experience. And so that's kind of some of the stuff we've been doing with, with mindfulness, um, as well as using it as a foundational piece for behavior change. Um, that is something I've learned over the last 28 years is our Often our biggest obstacles to you know either changing our diet or improving our, our fitness, uh, losing weight, whatever it might be, the obstacles, the, the predominant obstacles are in the mind. You know, I don't have enough time. I'm, I'm in a hurry. I'm overworked. I'm not sleeping well. Those kind of things.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And so when you're kind of Uh, presenting these topics. I know companies obviously bring you in because somebody there, some key stakeholder or decision maker or somebody uh, has either been exposed to these concepts before or they're familiar with it themselves. But how does that conversation start? And, you know, are people kind of open to the concept of Uh, looking inward like that? Or does it, do you have some kind of foot in the door techniques that you use to, I don't want to, you know, spill all your secrets out here. I'm just kind of interested. Here
1: to share. Um, Yeah, I think we have a a little bit of both, you know, often, like you said, it is a a key stakeholder. It's somebody typically that's in leadership. And that's, that's been my kind of tactic is really, you want to connect with a decision maker. And as you probably well know, Often, people in leadership are, are people that are, that are typically self driven and working on improving themselves all the time. So, sometimes they've come across, uh, like you said, I like what, what, what you said, looking inward as, an, as a tool to help with their personal performance. And just because of the environment we're in right now with the exchange of information and research. You know, um, mindfulness is is not such a foreign concept. You know, you have organizations like Google, Apple that have chief mindfulness officers and they have very robust programs. In fact, Google's program is "Look Inside Yourself." That's that's uh, one of the the key program names, and um, and they get it. So, so what I'm offering, you know, with that type of person is they're wanting to see how can we bring this into our organization in a way that's economical and actually scalable for what we want to accomplish. Um, I do have some, some you know strategies for those organizations that, that uh, maybe have heard a little bit about it and you don't have somebody that's as involved or, or knowledgeable because maybe they took a course or have some practice of their own. And found benefit there, which is which is very helpful, and that's to actually share the science behind uh, this, which is one of the reasons I got into mindfulness or mental training or focus or attention training. Is there's a huge body of evidence now? We have forty years of research, and really the last five years have produced uh, probably close to two thousand very very high caliber peer reviewed research from you know institutions like the University of Wisconsin. Uh, Vanderbilt, Harvard, uh, the whole UC system, and these are our very top, top, top caliber research studies. And so, sharing the benefits from that eye or that point of view, it, it's very easy to hook people. You know, some of my best, my best uh, organizations, um, you know, have uh, science-based individuals, so physicians. Um, it's very easy to walk into a room and talk about the benefits of mindfulness from a research standpoint to a bunch of evidence-based driven people and they buy it, they get right into it. Same with engineers. I, I did a, a mm-hmm. talk at, uh, here I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we have, uh, uh, an Intel plant and I went in and did, you know, an hour long lunch lecture on the science of the mind and the body. And, and, uh, they immediately invited me back because all the the scientists or all the engineers ran up and said, Hey, we need more of this. And we get that makes sense. So I hope that that's a long drawn out kind of answer, but, but both aspects, I think, you know, it's, it's in the culture. Now we, we know that stress is a, is a big deal and it seems to be accelerating. Um, you know, some, some research studies have shown, um, that, that perceived stress, has increased between 2015, 2017, uh, over 60%. And, uh, you know, and it's affecting us at a younger age. Uh, clinical depression has increased 50% from 2011 to 2015. The clinical depression in teens has gone up 50%. Uh, and that's of the people that are actually coming in and seeking help. So I, I think it's it's something that's much bigger and, and uh, mindfulness or attention training can be uh, a great tool right and and people are seeking people are seeking
0: and you know that's just huge those statistics are huge and um you know i think the psychological side of the quote health crisis that's kind of going on is often um overlooked or not spoken about as much it's kind of a uh you know, one of those subjects that's a little bit more touchy with people. I mean, I think now a lot of people realize like, okay, there's a lot of uh, people who have overweight uh, or weight issues or, you know, pain like joint pain, different things like that. So, that's kind of coming out into the open a little bit more. Um, But the psychological side, if people are struggling with depression or fatigue or um, not being able to have energy or focus, like you don't, I don't really feel like that's easy to talk about with anyone because it's almost like a sign of weakness. You don't want to be passed over for a raise or a promotion because you're seen as weak or something like that. or um, you know. So anyways, that was kind of a, just a, a rambly side there to add to things that I've noticed. But
1: I, I think that's huge. That's a great observation. I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that's been kind of a cultural piece. Um, an American cultural piece, if you, if you want to add that, um, there was this neurologist that wrote a, a book in the 1800s named George Beard. And uh, it was called The Practical Treatise on Nervous Exhaustion, which is what people used to um, call stress, right? And he made some, some really interesting observations in, in 1880-ish in this book. And, and uh, the two that really stand out for me is that he, he said technology was, was a driving cause of seeing this rapid increase in nervous exhaustion in his patients. And he, he talked about things like uh, the steam engine, which allowed families to move apart from each other across the country easily being an issue, as well as the telegraph mm. because of the anticipatory response uh, to messages and waiting and all this kind of thing. He also made the observation that Americans were particularly good at um, abusing their nervous systems from cradle to grave. And I don't think we've lost that in our culture. And like you said, we don't want to uh, be perceived as being weak uh, in any particular way, because that might be a, a form of judgment against us. Um, what I am seeing though, is that, that there is a little shift in that that's happening right now, that people are a little bit more open um, to talking about it. And the way that I look at it is to normalize it for us as human beings. The reality is our nervous systems are designed uh, to stress right so we have this fight flight or freeze response that's often talked about and it's certainly important when we're talking about hrv uh, because hrv can be such a great measuring tool of what's happening in that particular pathway our our survival pathways our recovery pathways Um, and when we can normalize and people can realize and, and kind of internalize that we are we're all human and that anxiety that that stress that distractedness are part of our gift right of being human because those tools those those uh mental states have helped us survive for so long but now we kind of are living in a cultural time that that um maybe doesn't align or give us enough recovery and maybe kind of perspective on how to deal with with uh With what's happening with technology, for example, the super hyper connectiveness, uh, our attention being, you know, pulled in a million different directions, Um, you know, media, however you look at it, social media, traditional media, politics, whatever, all these, this information that's being driven at us it's certainly causing higher levels of stress and, and we're directly connected to it with these little smartphones that sit in our pockets, right? <laughs>
0: mm. <laughs> yeah, the the steam engine and the telegraph have nothing on airplanes and social media.
1: <laughs> I always say George Beard is looking down on us going, why isn't everybody medicated? Man, they're living such stressed out lives.
0: <laughs> you know, it's uh, while you're describing that, this is something that kind of came to mind is that and you know, earlier you mentioned that how perception of stress is so important. And you know, uh, I think that there's a kind of a gradient or different uh, buckets almost that you could put types of stress in. Because I think what we're saying here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's not that stress itself is the enemy. Because you know, based on our physiology, based on our evolution and our history. Uh, People often report feeling the most happy and fulfilled when they've, uh, you know, when they have some tasks to work on, when they feel important, when they feel needed, and when they're getting things done or, you know, when they build their mud hut or accomplish whatever, uh, solve some problem that they've been working on. Um, And that all of those things can be kind of helpful activities to spend time and energy and, and stress on. But it's kind of all these other things that are just kind of constantly nagging at our attention and kind of lower level, um, often meaningless uh, activities or tasks that are always just like there on our peripheral vision, almost like those push notifications, like those, you know, you feel like you've got to go to three happy hours a week for some reason or some, you know, some something like that. Um, (laughs) is that kind of how you see it too? I know that was sort of a leading question as part of it is my observations as well. Great leading question. I mean, uh,
1: absolutely correct. And I think that that's a very important, um, thing to, to look at is, you know, stress, we say the word stress and immediately it becomes a negative connotation. Um, and that's, that's not correct, right? It's, it's, we need a certain level of stress or or stimulus or, or resistance to be happy, um, to to perform well to to work well and like you said it's 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 not the stress itself it's actually um, it's actually our relationship to what's happening if that if that makes sense right it's the filter it's the 90 10 rule um, you know Harvard's research years ago showed that that it's it's you know your happiness and performance and success it's it's 10% what's going on in your environment what's actually happening and 90% the relationship you have to it and that's a big concept in, in the work that I do certainly um, you know is, is how can we um, really develop enhance the relationship we're having with our experience our life experience whatever it may be even if it's very challenging you know through loss or, um, you know, neg- what we would consider negative experience or even positive experience because stress is necessary to be successful. I mean, what is exercise? Exercise is a form of stress. What is education? It's a form of stress, it's a challenge. Even, you know, good nutrition, uh, you know, the, some of the compounds you find in broccoli are actually toxins that, that have a positive stress on our biology and allow us to get stronger. So it's, it's kind of navigating that, that relationship and that's what resilience, you know, a resiliency is. Um, Mike Tyson used to used to say, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? And life is throwing <laughs> blows all day long. Right. And if we can learn to, you know, what I, what I call behave like a Jedi, right? So <laughs> have some composure as these challenges and, and even really fun, positive things happen, um, we can elevate our experience. And that's a big part of kind of the work that I do, and 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 um, and it's important, yeah, is that that we face our our challenges, and, and then we can actually turn that 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 typically negative experience into stress, right? The 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 type of stress that 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 helps us propel forward to learn uh, and to have a better experience. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn, for example, the father of mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is what I'm. Uh, uh, the bulk of my training is in around mindfulness I like to say you can't stop the waves but you can learn to surf and i love that imagery um because mm. you know it can be beautiful surfing in a in a really angry you know sea can look beautiful and uh i also think i've seen that explode <laughs> I, no
0: no I, I didn't mean to interrupt i was just it, part of that imagery oh. popped into my head was that Also, learning to surf, you know, when you're, if you're, I'm not a surfer, I don't have experience with it, but I imagine that it's really hard to do if you're looking at your social media while you're doing it. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it's part of it too is uh, that activity is great imagery because it almost forces you to say, okay, or picture somebody out away from everything, there's no distractions. And, you know, obviously they're not going to be able to stop that wave but they can learn to surf. And for me especially, I find that the environment I put myself in, the expectations that I allow others to put on me or me on myself greatly impact my productivity and my performance, my happiness, my whatever you want to call it. Um, And that if I cut back, they always say, you know, to entrepreneurs – Um, the best entrepreneurs are the ones that know how to say no and, uh, say no to being on social media all the time, say no to distractions, say no to things that are just kind of pulling you down or, you know, putting that negative stress on you, whether you perceive it that way or not. And, um, and then just, you know, do the things like a, a surfer, Uh, surfers are often used in uh, flow state conversations as well. So, uh, like Don talked about that a little in in our podcast and um, Stephen Cutler has written some books on flow state looking at extreme surfers and other extreme athletes who basically do things that if you lose focus, you may die or get injured or some, you know, something bad could happen. So, it forces you to get in the zone so to speak yeah absolutely
1: i mean i love i love that imagery Stephen cutler i i just missed the opportunity he lives here in new mexico he lives up in taos and i just missed the opportunity to meet him sorry that's a little side track there Uh, no worries by a couple of hours he was in the same place i was (laughs) anyway and i'd love to have a conversation with him um but yeah Absolutely. That's in fact, that's what mindful attention training really is. It's, it's actually flow ready. It's getting you to be flow ready because the only place that excellence can actually happen is in the present moment, right? Excellence can't happen five minutes ago and it can't happen in two minutes. Uh, the only place that you have agency over what's happening is right now is right now. And so the more often that you can be right, what I call is, is cultivating awareness Awareness creates presence. Uh, Presence creates discernment. And when you have discernment, you can pivot. And that is is a very fast operation kind of at the at the level of the mind. Um, But that's what flow is, right? The more often, the more moments that we can link being present right here in what's happening, that's, that's where that flow or that magic is happening. And like you said, with extreme athletes, they can't afford to not be right there in that moment where, you know, action actually uh, happens before thought, right? Is just ahead of thought. And that's where why training is so important in, in these particular environments, whether it's uh, elite military or uh, extreme athletes or very high performing athletes, right? We train, we train, we train so that action can precede thought. And the more attention training that we do, which is, and I want to throw this out here, is like we know what it's like to train our our, our craft, our skills, our intellectual capacities, learning a language, mathematics, etc. We know how to train our bodies and so forth. A lot of people don't realize that you can train your mind in the very same way, um, and they don't look at that training the way they look at their other training, which is which is a big miss, right? So we want to be consistent. Uh, training is something that we organize that has some periodization and some commitment and consistency. But if we can do that, then we can be in that flow ready state where we're more present and where all that hard work we've done can show up and our actions can precede our thought, which is where you kind of need to be when you're at that level, right? Things are just happening. And we've all experienced that to some degree or another, certainly if you've played sports um, you know, that that just magic of things were just happening, you're not even thinking. Um,
0: I like that too. Sorry,
1: well, I tried there. No, no, no. <laughs> but-
0: <laughs> it's great. And, you know, in, in kind of relating it back to what you said earlier about life being the biggest uh, event that you're training for, so to speak, is that actually kind of helps me sometimes deal with stress is... If I'm having kind of a uh, a negative stress overload, uh, so to speak, then uh, one thing that kind of helps me shift my perception of that is that okay, well, um, this is at least going to prepare me better for future. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, being better prepared for whatever I'm working on or avoiding that type of situation or whatever it is, even though in the moment it's kind of uh, doesn't feel the best, it helps yeah. me know that it's kind of like that Archilochus quote, uh, we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training.
1: <laughs> I love that, yeah.
0: And uh, yeah, it's it's great. So, you know, basically knowing that is um, the more different things that you expose yourself to and are able to kind of overcome and, and things like that, then in general, especially if you perceive that as a positive you'll be able to utilize that in the future. And uh, so, yeah, again, you know, I'll add my tangent to your tangent. But <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you, though, is we've talked a lot about mindfulness and you you defined it a little bit. And is that... Uh, you know, maybe you could just expand upon that. What is it that people do when they come out of these conversations with you when you're consulting is, you know, do you prescribe uh, certain uh, tasks or ways that people can practice to develop mindfulness or, you know, what is it that people are kind of working
1: towards? Yeah. Yeah. So great question. Great question. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really a big part of, um, what i do when when we we get involved with organizations or whoever we're working with is that's that's a very uh important part right now we can we can create relevance why this might be important to you but like life it's experiential we need to actually start practicing and so what i i like to do is try to create very simple um what we call ramp on ramps into a practice you know mindful meditation Uh, or attentious focus training super easy it's it's a very easy thing to teach I can teach you to to be an expert at it really uh, mechanically in five minutes Um, the hardest part is remembering to do it or finding some kind of consistency with it now with athletes etc it's it's much easier once they get it they they get the value they understand the value of training Um, and the benefits that it will bring to them so it's a lot of fun to work with those groups but the average person sometimes may get excited initially and then you know how it is they fall off um so a big goal of mine is that that we give kind of a periodized programming approach um so for example one of the the techniques i use and 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 this is a a pretty simple technique as i call it the five breaths and try to get people to wake up in the morning for example and before they start racing off into their day which is real typical i don't know if this happens to you you wake up in the morning your mind's already racing on everything that you need to do do you experience that at all jason
0: <laughs> oh yeah you know these days i have a pretty i've been measuring my hrv every morning for years now so that almost kind of that routine helps but Definitely, if I disrupt my routine um, and then soon after I, I do my HRV and sometimes blood glucose and a couple other things that I like to oh, cool. uh, check in on, then uh, definitely cool. that happens. <laughs> or cool. so you- sometimes it happens right away, depending on how many things I'm juggling at the moment.
1: <laughs> how many things you're juggling? No, that's great. And I, I asked that question, maybe that knowing that you already have some systematic practices in self care, which is a, a big part of, I'm sure of your lifestyle. Um, but, but not most people aren't doing what you do, which are taking a moment, um, to actually check in, right. To, to see what's happening. So what I advise people is before you just take off for your day, before your feet touch the floor, stop and take five mindful breaths. And, and what a mindful breath looks like, it's literally breathing in, knowing you're breathing in, Breathing out, knowing you're breathing out. And a way that you can do that is just looking for the physical sensation of breath, right? Connecting with the physical sensation, which is something that you can only experience when it's happening in that moment. So five breaths in and out. And then off to the races. Then I I have them do that at the end of the day. So when they hop into bed, right before they're ready to go to sleep, take those same five breaths. And then I encourage them to find three other times uh, throughout the day to do that. So it could be at lunch right before they eat. Uh, and then a couple of other other times throughout the day, they could set a little alarm on their phone. And so that's a great kind of onboard and getting or starting to build that small practice of awareness and paying attention. And that would be a formal kind mm-hmm. of exercise that somebody could use. And and that you know that's what I do is try to give those strategies to try to make it a, a real thing in their lives. Because uh, in the end, the, the goal is that you bring more of a, an awareness into every day, into everything that's happening. More, a little more presence, you know, whatever task you're involved in. And, and like you said, we live at a time where we're so distracted. So many things are pulling our attention in every direction. And... It's so easy in our, in our minds, our thought generators that are designed to be distracted for, uh, obviously for survival reasons, we can't be so hyper-focused that we don't notice the saber-toothed tiger rattling behind us in the bushes. Um, but we're, we we, don't have to, to worry about saber-toothed tigers so much anymore. Now, now they look <laughs> a lot more like those push notifications, somebody cutting you off in traffic, uh, somebody not. Giving you their full attention because they're looking at their Instagram feed while you're trying to share something important to them, right? Um, and those are our sources of stress, and you can see it happening, uh, you know, everywhere in our culture. Uh, you know, just a thought here is this mental stress, depression. We're we're seeing, yeah, you know, it, it just showing up everywhere. And organizations, for example. Um, are seeing it. They're seeing the effect in their employees and that there's a real cost to that. And, um, you know, there's a human capital cost. There's a financial cost. The American Medical Association says that four out of five uh, general practitioner visits are directly related to stress. You know, employers get that, um, that, that a stressed employee is probably going to be an employee that uses health insurance more often or is less present when they're at work and, are, and it's going to be more... More you know something called presenteeism, and are much more likely to be absent um, because they're feeling that that stress, and so it's it's an issue. Um, So they're they're wanting to invest in the well-being of their employees. Good leaders know that. Um, We're seeing it in a cultural way now. Uh, Um, Yeah,
0: that kind of leads me. You know, you already kind of answered. I was going to say, you know, are they looking for kind of a return on investment um, and is it just from like a reported, uh, reported stress or reported well-being, or do they look at the financials uh, over the long term? I, yeah. I think
1: that's a you know great question. They'd love to see right a report, a financial report that showed that right. maybe they were using less often. That's a little more difficult. These days, and in the company I worked with, we were trying to do that, um, showing a real financial kind of benefit. But what I've seen in very good, high quality leaders and leadership teams is they understand the importance of culture. Culture, in my opinion, trumps all in an organization and a culture that, that has a lot of stress and anxiety doesn't function well. And good leaders get that. So, so I think... If they can see a shift in the culture that they may not be able to put into a graph or a chart, and that may be through just interacting with employees, that that's the the ROI that they're looking for. That they're can, they're seeing an elevated kind of cultural shift, and and um, I've had some good feedback from some organizations that I've I've worked with. Um, New Mexico school for the deaf. I'll throw that out. There's beautiful organization here in New Mexico. People come from all over the world to have their children study here for for hearing impaired individuals. And we did a piece for their leadership team for their board. And, uh, the feedback a year later that I've been getting is that they, they, they work better together and they, and they attribute it to some of this attention training that they worked on. And we see that in a lot of organizations. That's Um, powerful. Yeah, it is powerful, and it's really humbling to see that happen because um, they're, they're getting closer to, right, that, that optimal experience that they're looking for, that they don't want that mediocre quality of life, and they're doing amazing things, that particular organization, but we've seen that. Um, I know we're kind of running tight on our timing here, but I wanted to comment that that we're seeing this, you know, the cultural impact that's out there, and I think a, a, go, a good – indicator is, um, in the news recently, we saw that, that suicide rates are, are up, uh, in every state in the United States. And we've seen some, some very traumatic suicides, uh, or I should say high profile suicides with uh, Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade, right. Mm-hmm. Um, people that we perceive to have everything going for them financially, et cetera, et cetera. And yet something, something wasn't working for them. And I, and I don't want to simplify things right in a very complex, very, um, powerful kind of human experience but I think a little more time being present um, a little more time noticing all the great stuff that's happening in our world um, I think you touched on that you know training ourselves um, to look at the, the positive stuff maybe less of that negative stuff which is something that we can train we know that for a fact from positive psychology and awareness training can help with that and it does affect our HRV <laughs> in a positive way um, right that that could be significant, um, thing, uh, an anecdote or a balm uh, to, to kind of this cultural phenomenon that's happening right now that I, I think is tied up with technology. We love technology. It's powerful. It's a good, good thing. Um, but I don't think we've learned to relate to it well, and I think it is affecting our culture and not the best of ways right now.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I really like how you kind of tie all of that together because the, um it's really hard. There's so many variables, like you said, so implementing something like mindfulness um, and then relating that back to the bottom line of a company is it's just one variable and a big pool of variables, including the general market behavior and itself and you know whether or not that company's uh, growing or implementing a new product or whatever it is. So so many variables there, but then the company culture itself, uh, especially the people who are in it. it's And like you said, good leaders who are aware of their company culture can uh, feel that they can measure it. And then individuals can measure things like their heartbeat variability to see what the effect is on themselves uh, pretty objectively there. So that's kind of nice. There's a couple of different ways for people to kind of dig in on that. And um, no, that's, that's huge. I mean, it, this is a a topic that it's really fascinating to me because like it affects so many things from athletic performance to business performance, to mental health, to um, you know, our relationships, our happiness. And um, it's, it's a complicated subject yeah. and uh, perception being part of the equation makes it even more complicated. It makes it exponential because, part of the beauty of being human is we all have different perceptions of different things. And, um, so one thing that, something that stresses one person out may be therapeutic or, or at least fun for another individual.
1: Right. Yeah. Perception uh, is our reality. (laughs) And, um, I always like to say is that we make stuff up right as human beings. Um, so make up some good stuff.
0: Uh, yes, I like that. <laughs> that, that, is, that reminds me of a quote from Neil Gaiman, who's a, a fiction primarily author. And he uh, did a commencement speech, I think, at Stanford. And it was called Make Good Art. And basically, it said, The world w- will try to uh, pull you down, but just always stay true to yourself and make good art, and you will come out okay in the end. And that's a good, um, true. I think that I may have butchered his, his message. So there's probably something deeper there, but hopefully that captures it. And, uh, but yeah, so, um, Jose, this, this has been awesome. Uh, 45 minutes just flew by because I was excited and learning the whole time. And I think everybody listening will be too. Um, but you know, I want to know where people can find out more about you. I'm sure hopefully, you know, people want to, uh, Bring you in for some speaking and things like that. I know that wasn't the point of you coming on here, but I'm excited about it. So I hope people consider that. And
1: Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, love to share. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, um uh, have a new website that's going to be launching probably this week. It's called Embodied Spirit Therapies, embodied spirit therapies.com.
0: And we'll link to that in the show notes.
1: Awesome. Yeah, and it's great. And I actually work with my wife. Uh, We're a tag team. She's a clinical psychologist as well as an exercise physiologist. So we we like to blend um, all of our skill sets in how we work with people. And um, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, that that would be the easiest way to get a hold of uh, me. And and there's links and uh, more about, you know, my philosophy, how I work and the kind of things that we offer.
0: Awesome. Yeah, really appreciate that, Jose. And, um, you know, as we kind of do the when these discussions get so deep and fascinating and time flies by, I I might try to strong arm you on for another round. And if people have any (laughs) awesome, if people have any questions,
1: because I would like to talk about heart rate variability and the mental training because there are some cool things that I have observed and how it impacts. Uh, Hrv and, and again, you know that I am a huge fan of HRV as, as a measurement tool, as a feedback tool. And, and I think we've gotten to the place where it's accessible to everyone, right? Um, Elite HRV is, you, know, you guys are great leaders in that, that arena uh, and uh, making it approachable and relevant. So I'd love to have that conversation.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I think that's perfect. I mean, we've laid the groundwork here and, uh, and then we can really drill in on that. And that also helps for people listening. If they have specific questions, um, go ahead and send them to podcast at elite And then, um, you know, if you're having a good time with this, you can always leave us a review on iTunes, much appreciated. Um, but Jose, again, thanks so much. And we'll post your website to the show notes. And that's really exciting to, to hear that that's coming out now. And uh, I'm 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 looking forward to digging into the next round already.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank you so much, Jason. It's been a pleasure and an honor.
0: Alrighty. thanks. Take care, everyone.
1: Sponsored by HRVCourse.com truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, Podcast. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.